Guru Nation, welcome to episode 408 of Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. This is Dan Sfera. In this episode, I'm interviewing a longtime buddy of mine, Pat Stone, former FDA auditor. Now he's a very successful consultant helping sponsors navigate the basically regulatory aspects of running a study. And, uh, you know, our last interview was probably like seven years ago and a lot has changed. Pat is still the author of his book, Bubblegum Badge. Uh, And in this episode, we actually discuss a lot of things. We discuss FDA findings at research sites. We discuss FDA findings when it comes to CRAs and monitorings. And then we also discuss FDA findings during uh, trial master file system audits. So there's a lot in this video and I'm really glad Pat was able to come on. It's very rare that we get to get the uh, inside perspective from an FDA or at least former FDA uh, agent. So very interesting for everybody, absolutely everybody that works in the industry. Check out links in the show notes to where you can connect with Pat. Also, links in the show notes for um, my CRA Academy, my CRC Academy, my Patreon channel, which is only five bucks a month for digital marketing, social media, monthly mastermind. It's really good value. Also, if you are a site that is in need of more studies, text me 949-415-6256. Thanks a lot and enjoy this episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. This is Dan Sfera. I've got a long-time guest. This is like a blast from the past. It's so, so like nostalgic here, Pat. Uh, I remember when we made that bet of the Clippers and the Spurs like back in 2014, and I had to buy a Spurs hat and wear it. I recently donated that hat to somebody. Um, but yeah, like I, I only wore it a few times cause I felt bad. I spent money on it, but then I gave it to somebody who is going to use it. So like this, you wrote the book, the Bubblegum badge for people that don't know. Pet Stone is a former FDA auditor, author of a book called the Bubblegum badge. I will have links underneath. You're still selling that book, right, Pat? Oh yeah. Um, I encourage more of the electronic version, but it is for sale it, it will always be for sale uh, because of the way i it's it's, uh, your, it's your publishing story. that when it, that was involved so uh well it's part of my story it's part fda's story in their uh clinical trial review process and and uh basically what uh an fda investigator goes through during those times of uh, being, you know, in the trenches of FDA. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, so, Pat, why don't you give, for the people who haven't seen that video, why don't you give a brief overview of uh, who you are and how you got started and uh, all that kind of stuff? Sure. So I was an FDA investigator from 1998 until... 2011. Most of that time I spent in Houston. Uh, in 2004, I started doing international inspections for bio research monitoring. 
the bulk of the work uh, in Houston is clinical investigator site inspections. So FDA spends a lot of time going to uh, clinic sites and, and reviewing uh, all, all of the data, source data, data integrity, patient safety, and uh, a bit of the uh, review of the primary secondary endpoints so that the you know, uh, submissions can be verified. Um, so <clears throat> for the better part of 13 years, I was with FDA. And now for the past nine years, uh, as a consultant, I have conducted many drug manufacturing audits because FDA trained me to do that. I was cross-trained in many uh, program areas. And uh, I would say 50% of my clients are drug manufacturing clients. And um, I, I do a lot of sterile drugs, chemotherapeutics, innovation drugs. Uh-huh. I was part of the first uh, two of the three gene therapy drugs approved in 2017. I was part of, uh, of the teams on two separate uh, drug approvals, uh, one for the eye and one for um, cancer, leukemia. And, um, but for the past four or five years, the focus has changed to trial master file reviews for rare and orphan drug uh, sponsors. And, uh, and that's where I'm at right now. I mean, that, that has been the main focus of what I've, what I've done in the past few years. Uh, and I've been able to travel internationally again, four or five times a year for the past I would say eight of the nine years I've, I've uh, done this. So I've continued that international um, review, uh, sometimes in Spanish or Italian or French, and uh, lots of times in other languages I can't speak and needed a translator. But uh, it's been a great uh, nine years up to this point. Uh, Good for you. And, uh, right, it all started with that book. And, you know, a lot of times... Some clients will be like, well, what, what do you bring to the table? Or, you know, what, what have you done? And I send them that and they're like, oh, you're going to make me do homework. And I'm like, well, you asked me <laughs> what I've done. So here you go. And typically um, I get the job pretty much af- after they start even <laughs> just getting into a few chapters. It's a done they're like, deal. All right. You lost me. I, I, I'm going to need your help. Help me out. And, and um, because they're rare orphan and sponsors, this is their first time to bat. So after I give them the bad news, they now they're asking me to help remediate and to build their quality management systems, their quality units, and to prepare for that eventual FDA huh. inspection, you know, the, the rounds of inspections that you go through for submissions. So, yeah, I want to talk about what you're currently doing for sure because I have questions about trial master files. I mean, we can go like real inside baseball here and get real geeky, uh, but... When you were FDA auditor, you audited sites, right? You were like the auditor every all the sites are afraid of that are coming. Definitely. Uh, well, I would go to the sponsors as well. The CROs didn't like us. Uh, the IRBs didn't like me either. Some of the bigger ones like uh, MD Anderson, they got their first warning letter after a long string of, you know, no action indicated. Everyone was nice. Then I show up and... Uh, you know, they do background on me. They're like, oh, this guy's got warning letters on him. And I'm like, yeah, and you're going to be one of them. <laughs> so uh, it was a variety of, of inspections. But like you say, the 80% were clinic 
site audits, going to the site, meeting with the principal investigator, you know, first off, and then letting him attend to his patients, but dealing with the research coordinators, looking at the monitor records, um, evaluating how well the monitoring did, and looking at data validation. I cannot tell you how much time I spent verifying primary and secondary endpoints for <laughs> FDA because it's a focus, right? I mean, when you give your submission, they're like, all right, we need some data integrity here. We need to look at data validation. Can we trust these numbers? Can we trust your uh, statistics? Your, you know, were, was safety held up most? Because safety is a big part of clinic site review, you know that is reviewed by not just looking at the SAEs, but eligibility. You know, when we see eligibility issues, people ra randomized with exclusion and inclusion criteria violations, these the these come up a lot. Let's, these let's come play, up a lot. Let's play hypothetical. So what was like, well, before we go hypothetical, what were the most common findings at sites from your audits? Well... FDA puts out metrics and I send those metrics to all of my clients all of the time because they don't realize that it's the same since I was in FDA until now. Not following the protocol is the number one site uh, observation. And then it goes from there, like, you know, informed consent issues. We see a lot of um, sometimes we, we see, uh, I mean, the worst, obviously, because FDA tells you, these are the few things that if you do them, one of them, that you're going to get a warning letter right away. And that's in the compliance program manual that um, is available to everyone for, for those because they give you the playbook for every inspection they do. But, yeah, not following the protocol and then ICF issues. Um, and then from there, you, you go the run the gamut of all kinds of different issues that that uh, are cited but most of them are in a minor or uh no more than major right we don't see a whole lot of critical the uh, number of critical observations is going down which is a good thing um and the and the professionalism of the inspectors is going up because fda is not doing this whole generalist thing they have transferred to an all-professional if you want to be a bioresearch monitor inspector, you can only do that. So you won't have the availability like I did to go do drug audits in Italy or in France or something. Because you were a generalist, because, right? You were because I was a generalist. a generalist, right. And it's harder to be a generalist. It takes longer to be proficient at, at your uh, project area, right, your program area. It, it becomes more difficult because you got to learn more regulations. and Right on top you know stack up on top of food because you start with food just like my book it starts with my food work which is kind of boring and dull but once you get through that little first part you, you get into the clinical trial part and most uh, clinicians or people in the business they really uh, still you know like catch things that wow what this is why we do this oh okay i'm gonna do this better next time <laughs> That's good, man. So, but it, because you're a generalist, so unfortunately the FDA now is more streamlined. It seems like so, you know, you're you're typically going to specialize in one aspect of audits. But in your case, you know, you were a generalist, and that actually helped you. Uh, I would say, kind of start your career as a as a independent consultant, right? 
that's that's 100 percent true because you know what happened was when we started reviewing gene therapies at uh cell and gene therapy center in, in uh, houston there one of the first ones to do these things uh the clinical in, uh inspections morphed into manufacturing audits and so FDH, my, my boss has said, wait a minute, wait a minute. He's going to not just do the clinic side part, but he, you're going to expect him to look at the manufacturing of these gene therapies and these viral vectors and these plasmas and things that hardly anyone's ever heard of. And, and they're like, yeah. And, he, and they're like, well, he's got to go to drug school for that. So, you know, and but the good thing was, is that they always sent someone from the center. They sent a pharmacologist or they sent a Ph.D. or uh, some somebody that new gene therapy or cell therapy they would come with me they would be the uh the team member obviously because you know the local guy gets is the lead inspector and and so that's how i kind of wiggled my way into the manufacturing part because i i kind of wanted to stay out of it right my dad's a pharmacist and manufacturing drugs seem like a very um, high mountain to climb along with bio-research monitoring, because bio-research monitoring as it is, you have to cover IRBs, CROs, sponsors, clinic sites, uh, and, uh, you know, just it, it runs the gamut on bioequivalence labs, all kinds of things. Also, the the, uh, the pre-human stuff, you got to do the, the animal trials, you got to know that stuff too. So it's enough, right? I'm like, okay, I'm good. Like, I'm, I'm okay in this area. Right, because it's it's a large. When you say BIMO, bio research monitoring, it's not just what you think. Some little thing. It's huge. Uh, but then on top of that, throw in sterile drug manufacturing. Oh, it's it's a lot. It's uh, kind of like Darshan and his. I'm a lawyer. I'm a pharmacist. I'm an engineer. I, I invent apps. I invent things, and it's like, wow! Where did you find time to do all that? I can barely keep up with my two program areas I'm in. Because, Dan, to be honest with you, I started as a clinical chemist for device manufacturing. You know, I was doing my master's, my graduate school in San Antonio, and for two years, I was a clinical chemist for device manufacturing, uh, glutenation tests, quick tests, rapid tests. We would be work probably now working on a COVID test antibody test but that's kind of where i started and in the device area i was like no you know i don't, I don't like this area so i stayed away from it in in fda on purpose uh and then i get sucked into it with these combination drug uh, delivery systems now that everyone's migrating to and uh so so i was lucky to to understand the device stuff or and still don't know it but uh it, it all uh came to that to this one part of having my business and, and uh, assisting these clients get these rare diseases uh, their first therapy like you know before you could say oh yeah I assisted Pfizer or one of these bigger manufacturers and they're going to be giving people drugs to provide uh, their uh, you know just symptom relief type stuff like have fistfuls of stuff now we're talking about cures and uh first of kind things that are, are going to help individuals a lot of these again are for uh vulnerable populations that i'm dealing with uh you know newborns um all the way up to the elderly but it's good that we've we've uh, fda's focus is on these 
more curative type. And I think we we did discuss that, that I, I wanted to be involved with more curative medicine seven years ago that, you know, when we spoke and uh, that still runs true. And it's 90% of my clients uh, that are, you know, some of them are second, third time around. Hey, we need more. We have more pipelines. We, we acquired this. We need your help on that. Um, so, so very few of them are just one-offs. And now I have uh, mainly direct pharma accounts. I'm not so much getting jobs from job finders. They're whispering my names and conventions or who I don't even know, but they'd say, Oh, I got your name. Um, they say that we, we need to deal with you. You're probably not going to make it. You don't like some of the bigger names that I've helped. One of them's named after a city. They had right. a, um, supposed mesh product that was going to be the, you know, end all be all. And I said, look guys, there's a lot of issues with your safety profiles here and, and what you're reporting and how you're doing it. And FDA is going to catch on pretty quick. If, if I caught on and I'm nobody, they have the best of the best farm D's, you know, MDs looking at this, you know, it's going to be very apparent. And they were like, no, no, thanks. <laughs> and then their name was all over the news for FDA saying, eh, sorry, this, you know, everything I listed, they basically put in the you know, public domain. I mean, I still can't really say stuff, but it's there. And, um, it's, it's, it, it uh, it's just a testament to, to, understanding how this really works and um it's it's been a great ride and fda didn't necessarily teach me tmf review dan you know that when i say i looked at <laughs> clinic sites that doesn't necessarily translate into a, a complete trial master file review so i've had two reviewers uh they trained me two famous reviewers um one on the more on the statistical drug side and another on the biologic side and one of those reviewers the biologic side guy he was also a compliance manager for biologics so he he's taught me a lot and these two guys were uh, instrumental in in showing me you know how to translate what i did for 13 years looking at sites and l translate that to looking at multiple sites how to pinpoint the sites that need to be reviewed more uh, from a reviewer perspective and giving me templates and all, all these questions that need to be asked and so so i've had a lot of help dan it's been a lot of help yeah i remember when we met up in uh, santa Ana when you were out here in orange county like in 2014 and we were talking about your consulting and i want to talk about the tmfs but final thing because i know the sites are interested so pi oversight okay when you were auditing sites you always hear from sponsors hey fda's biggest issue is pi oversight was this right. true back then it's true now it's true back then you know so when i first interview a, a principal investigator and i ask uh you know how was your uh, investigational product accountability? You know, did you look at that or did you look over that at all? And he, they, I get the white face like, what? What? I don't do that. Somebody else does that. I'm like, oh, okay, let's move on to, uh, you know, this other part. Did you ensure uh, that you, what was being looked uh, uh, imported into the CRF? Was that correct or did you make sure that source data, because, you know, sometimes I find uh, they say, well, my system's all electronic. I do uh, all electronic entry, but I find that there's no tablet or there's no computer in the 
clinic room when they're getting their data or when they're taking measurements or readings or what have you, things for the clinical trial, they're putting it on a notepad or putting it on a calendar, some scratch paper and that's source. And they forget that. And I asked the PIs, you know, did you realize that your team wasn't all electronic? And he's like, what, what are you talking about? So PI oversight is a major uh, issue still because they're so busy. They have, maybe they're looking at, they're helping out with three trials and maybe they're a professor and maybe they have standard of care practice. So the, you know, the time that it takes to do good oversight, which is FDA's uh, purview, right? They're, that's what they're tr checking for uh, when, when they go to a clinic site. It's how well does the PI know? Now, if he delegated that to a sub-investigator that took over for that, then bring that sub-investigator in and, and let them in, in, in discuss how the oversight went, right? Because uh, at least somebody did. A qualified person had the oversight and uh, was, was, you know, but if you see the PI signature on a lot of the um, laboratories, you know, not, not clinically significant or you're looking for clues for sure in the records to back up what the principal investigator states they did. Hmm. Because the, 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 main, the main reason FDA is there is for one, safety, right? Is, is, was, were all the SAEs done on time? Do you have any uh, SUSARs or do you have any um, unexpected things? Or, or uh, you know, did, did, did you en enroll a patient based on an exclusion criteria? And then they had an SAE based on that. And now what do we have? So there's a lot of safety triggers that we look for. Um, and uh, then the, main, uh, the next thing is protocol adherence. And then the final main reason FDA is there is investigational product accountability. That's a huge thing. And I'll tell you what's another issue sites need to look for is how they're destroying product. If their sponsors or CROs are saying, yeah, yeah, you destroy that. A lot of times that destruction or the way destruction is documented is a fail. Um, I've been to the biggest places, biggest institutions, and they're saying, oh, yeah, I threw the bottle in this chemotherapy bin. And uh, I'm like, wait a minute. Okay, you threw, can I see the bin? And they're like, yeah, it's right there. And I, I get a glove, I get a, a, a one of their probes, and I open the bin with the probe, and I'm like, so if I just reach in there and grab it, is it destroyed? And they're like, well, uh, and I'm like, and this is how you did the whole thing? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, you didn't like throw the pills out or you didn't somehow render these items uh, inert or not usable. Nah, we just throw the bottle in there. I'm like, well, then all of these destruction documents are fraud. They're, they're fraudulent. You say here, destroyed on this day. I can pull this right now. It's not destroyed. And then I'm like, where's the destruction certificate from the third party, either incinerator or whatever vendor you're going to use, however you're going to destroy your drugs. And I get the white face from the PI and from the pharmacist and everyone else. But, oh, well, FDA doesn't care about that. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, you, you, you're joking with me, right? Because FDA absolutely cares about this. And uh, there's a big difference between sent off for destruction and destroyed. I need to know what day, what time, how much. Can you tell me any of that? No. Uh, well, then we have a problem. So these, these small things that seem innocuous to most or many 
the the sites need to look at these things and see how they're doing them because I catch them all the time. And waivers is another thing that, unfortunately, you know, for even for these rare drug uh, orphan orphan trials, you you get these waivers, and because it's so hard to uh, enroll, and um, it's it's a safety concern. And if the sponsor doesn't have a, a procedure for waivers or how to monitor uh, waivers, medical monitor, safety, etc., you, you shouldn't be doing it. And most protocols say waivers are not allowed. Uh-huh. Uh, and, then, and then you get them. I mean, tell me I'm wrong, Dan. Tell me. Oh. But uh, <laughs> I'm not wrong. <laughs> yeah, most studies are that way. So what about, because I want to get into TMF, but because I have questions there, but what about like when you were auditing a site as a FDA auditor and you noticed, okay, the site and the site randomized a patient that shouldn't have been randomized, so that was inadvertent. They didn't do it on purpose, but the monitor never caught it. So, does the auditor ever look at the monitor at that point, or is it just the yes. focuses on the yes. site? No, no, no. Okay. So, as, as a quality assurance person, or even as FDA, because FDA does it too. If I see a trend with monitor issues, like the monitor is not catching all kinds of things, and you know, I'm not supposed to be catching anything. Like if there's data validation errors, primary endpoint issues, safety errors, and I'm catching them, I automatically know the site's out of control. The monitoring was either uh, not present or I look to see where there are changes in monitoring, like try to figure out uh, or where, where did it go wrong or where did things go uh, off the rails and how soon. So we're doing so many things at once. That's why it's a QA audit, not a monitoring audit, because monitors are focused on certain things. When you're doing a QA audit, you're looking at not just the side, not just the PI. You're looking for issues within your own uh, system, within your own plan. Did I did they did the CRO follow the plan? Did they have any co-monitoring? Was there enough QA intermittently? Because I find that there isn't enough quality assurance early, middle, and late in these uh, projects. QA from, and, from uh, the CRO or from the site? Either No, no. QA from a sponsor perspective or a CRO perspective. Either one. Uh, the CRO is not necessarily going to do that because it costs a lot. And um, they, you don't want, you know, it's like the monitor looking at himself. It, you can't do that. So you always want a third-party QA person to go in there and look at, okay, how's the monitoring going? How was training done? How was uh, where, was the site given the tools necessary to complete their tasks efficiently um, and, and safely? And um, do they have everything they need? Like when I say, uh, you know, source documents should be X, Y, Z. It doesn't matter if they're not paper or if they're uh, electronic, but did the CRO or sponsor give you tools like a laptop or a tablet that you should be taking into each uh, visit and documenting everything truly electronically? Or, um, you know what, we have a lot of problems with is diaries, patient, patient uh, primary endpoint, yeah, the patient outcome diaries, right, with primary endpoints or even secondary endpoints or safety endpoints. That is such a huge issue so many times with the software not uh, working correctly or not transmitting or bad connections, all kinds of things. You, you know what I'm talking about because you see it. 
when it when you do have to use an electronic diary which is kind of a thing now now that we have all these wearables and other items you know telemetry we can get oximeters we can do all kinds of things from home now or you know virtually and, and it's only going to get more now that we have the issues we do uh, so those will be a big item that fda auditors will look at and a weak point for the cro's and and the sites to have to defend mm-hmm. and what would you do in those cases because i know a lot of cra's watch so hello cra's we're just talking to former fda auditor pat stone so what would you do if you discover that okay well the site was negligent or or the site was missing things but so was the cra so what would you do in that case would you actually look into the cra and then do you send the cra a warning letter or how does that work well so this very thing has come up many times and sometimes sponsors say hey wait a minute this report has issues with monitoring. I, I don't really want to see that. I don't want that in my report. And I tell them, listen, when you ask me to do a quality assurance audit, I'm looking at your internal procedures. I'm looking at F- FDA guidance regulations. I'm looking at SICH, GCP. So, you know, what I find is what I find, and I and I don't take it out. I tell them, you need to follow up. I, I put it back on the sponsor and the CROs. You need to find out what happened. You need to in, initiate a kappa. You need to respond to this observation f- from me and figure out how you're going to keep this from happening again. And unfortunately, they call me in so late that it's hard to fix things. Well, we're already in, in the open label phase and all these things. Huh. But, um, yeah, so everyone gets deemed from from FDA perspective as well because, right, you know, for a submission, and we can migrate it into the TMF discussion by this little segue here, FDA always starts with your site audits, right? When you submit a, for application into U.S. market, they're going to have at least four if not just three, clinic site audits first. And those clinic site audits are going to be focusing on everything we just discussed and more. Uh, and, and they're going to be taking, it's like taking ammunition to the fight when you get to the TMF review, right? When you go to the sponsor and look at their TMF and then you look at the drug part after. So there's three rounds of audits there and review cycles, okay, is what they call them. And those clinic sites, if they find monitor errors, they're going to bring those questions to the sponsor. Listen, we found X, Y, Z from the monitor errors. They didn't catch certain things. Uh, why didn't you catch it? Where was QA in this? What, what, what happened here? And and so it's not just the PI that gets written up, right? The, the PI gets his observation. And then if the FDA wants to go to the CRO, they'll go write them up there. But typically, it stops with the sponsor because they're ultimately in charge. And they get written up for not adequately monitoring their trial. And that's a huge uh, observation, and and it happens all too often. Uh, But, yeah, so first you get your clinical trial site audits, you know, three to four of those. It's a very big part of your review. Then you get your TMF cycle review. You actually, you know, two auditors or one auditor goes in and reviews your file and and looks at your quality management system looks at your quality unit and verifies uh oversight whether it's qc oversight from a monitor or 
uh, ClinOps perspective, you know, ClinOps goes in and they do their part, cleaning data, et cetera. Uh, they have a big part in being the QC because they didn't do that work. They didn't capture the data. They're just checking it. So that's a QC function in that in that regard. Uh, but the TMF part is, again, where I'm getting a lot of my clients uh, because they need a lot of help. Yeah, And it's a, it's a heavy lift to do a TMF audit. Let's talk about TMF, but just before we do, what what's the just a quick explanation of the difference between QA and QC? Right. So your quality unit. Now that we have ICH E six I two, the um, it's very clear that it's mandatory QC. Okay. So you have to have a, a quality agreements. That's a GMP thing. So you think in GCP aspect, and we got to think now in GXP aspect and um you know that that's where that comes from that ich mandate that you now you have alert limits you have action limits you know when do you uh, close out a site for not following so much but um yeah so that that's a, a gmp concept that comes from now the e6 r2 update okay i got gotcha. you uh, now about but TMF. see right. So let, let me just tell you a little bit because okay. a lot of times um, organizations don't realize, wait a minute, my ClinOps and, and uh, my safety team or pharmacovigilance now is considered QC. And I have to tell them, yes, they are because they're, you know, they're not doing the work. You're, you're a virtual company. Someone else did all this. You are supposed to be overseeing everything, the medical writing, the statistics, the, you know, medical monitoring, somebody with adequate credentials, right, for medical monitoring. Obviously, you need a PharmD or you need an MD to look over that. But uh, now when ClinOps looks at their position, they're like, well, how weak quality control? Well, you're part of oversight. You're part of ensuring that the data is clean or that any issues were resolved. So you're picking through uh, all of the data to check it. So what would you call that? And they're like, oh, that's a quality check. Yes, you're QC. So it's an important concept. You should be reiterating that with your teams and your people that everybody is part of quality because they are, especially if it's virtual. Um, obviously, if you're the sponsor innovator and you're doing all of this, you're going to have to have someone else check right? your work. But this is just how it goes. So you have to stratify by GMP concept now because we have quality by design and um, it, it's mandatory. So with TMF, because now I'm in the CRO space as well, trial master file, what are, so you were saying the FDA audit usually uh, starts at the site level, three or four sites, and then so they get a good sample and then they go to the TMF next, right? The TMF level, which is usually uh, electronic TMF now. So what- It's mandatory, yeah, that's a mandatory. And those site selections are risk-based. So they're based on a risk matrix, high enrollers, high, you know, pivotal sites. Where are the most SAEs? Where are the most deviations? Okay. Uh, were there any waivers? So, it's not so they're random. based on a- No, 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 nothing random, nothing. FDA does is random. It's all coordinated. It's all scripted. There's a plan, um, and it's the same way every time. So, 
Right. It's a, and, and, and they tell you, this is how we're going to do this. So uh, it's a risk-based approach and your, you know, your TMF review, FDA doesn't go there for a week to review everything. Obviously that is not why they're there. Okay. They're not there to verify every file, every, uh, every empty folder, because you know, that's not beneficial. That's not value added. Uh, it's not a risk-based approach. So the TMF, obviously, now that it's electronic, they will want to know first your quality management systems, your validations of those systems. Is your uh, ETMF system validated? How is it validated? Those type of things. Uh, how is it uh, maintained, managed? Is it secure? Things of that nature. But always the TMF starts with your quality management system, which is a tough one because um, if, if you start going off the rails there, FDA could say, look, you know what? Uh, we don't think you're ready. So we're going to put a hold on everything and your review cycle will be doubled. Um, and, and that's where it ends. Uh, a lot of times clients tell me, oh, I want to uh, mock FDA TMF audit. I'm like, are you sure? Uh, you know, can, can we do a gap assessment first? Oh, no, we don't need that. Um, and so I get there and it turns right away into a gap assessment because I'm finding critical issues right away that are showstoppers <laughs> or things that are so egregious that it will not continue. What's the most uh, but, common one, like the most common TMF well, issue? The most common one is when I ask about data integrity, because that is, you know, if you look at FDA's output, much of their 43s right now are data integrity oriented or the lack thereof data integrity. Uh, you can see it in the offerings, you know, from RAPS and uh, from Socra, from, from all of them, from uh, the biggest outputs. Data integrity is an issue. And how was data maintained? How, how did you maintain data main, uh, integrity throughout the project? Uh, so, so, um, I have issues with that, and uh, a lot of times, again, it's very easy to say, you know, the sponsor didn't oversee the trial with, with the expectations of um, 312 in mind, right? That, uh, you know, you can transfer obligations all day, but you can't transfer your need to oversee what happens. And... Um, what, what I find mainly in TMF issues is that, you know, lack of oversight, lack of alert and action limits, you know, when I ask for kappas or deviations, oh, well, we don't have any. Well, okay, you have 2,000 deviations listed here. What did, you know, how do you not consider some of this to be kappa worthy? Whose deviation? The site deviation? The site deviations, right. You're, you're always going off of... You know, for the TMF audit, what am I going to ask for? Okay, I'm going to ask for, let me have all your SUSARs. Let me have all your safety issues. Let me have all your deviations. Your deviations are my roadmap. Uh, let me have how much, because FDA tells you clearly, the amount of oversight and monitoring you have will equal the amount of confidence they have in your filing. So if you have very little, or if at the site they find out it was not adequate, then you're already in trouble. Uh, so they already have you. That's why they started the site, so they can uh, see exactly how much monitoring and, and uh, oversight was, was done early, middle, and late. Was it done all at the end when you can't fix anything? Uh, was it meaningful? 
but so uh, the the roadmap is always your deviations and your kappas and how you remediate because fda really cares about how you self-remediated you could have messed up a lot but as long as you realize it at some point before you're filing you know phase three is kind of where they're expecting you to really mature as a organization um, you can show that progression from just using plans from the project you know perspective to actually having procedures and sops in place to manage those plans and to manage your uh, project and the oversight of it and so the tmf part is kind of simple when you boil it down to what needs to uh, be reviewed where the soft spots are there always are soft spots and um <clears throat> you know what i find now is you know i get into the the module five part of tmf right the csr the uh, complete study re report and looking at the listings getting into the the statistical analysis but um some of my bigger issues will be with uh, the DSMB meeting minutes or follow-ups for SUSARs. Um, those are more critical in nature. They're not showstoppers, but they're they're very important. And um, any everyone listening should should know that you know safety is the reason why we're in this business, and it's the reason why FDA shows up. And um, with it. safety in mind you you will succeed and if that's your goal uh if your goal is to get to market you know as fast as you can um that is not safety oriented and i have to caution a lot of my sponsors that you, just because you're first doesn't mean it's the best um so let's get this right you 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 can only hurt yourself by rushing this and extend your review cycle uh, and and that's the goal is to reduce your re re review cycle, not increase it. Reduce or meet it, right? Let's just meet it. Uh, let's just get to bat. And right now, it's you know we're, our focus is obviously on um, the pandemic and what's going on, but um, these other rare diseases and, and things they don't stop, and uh, so we continue. Pat, I can see why now. Thank you for sharing everything uh, in this podcast episode. I can see why companies, sponsors would want to hire you now as a consultant. Uh, it's no wonder why you have become successful over the years. And uh, it's amazing that we haven't done a video in like four, seven years, maybe. Uh, I think we did I've a small I've been busy, one. Dan. I mean, yeah, I have been busy international. I've been gone so much. Um, it, it's, it's been a, it's been a wild ride and, um, that's the main reason why is because I have been like on the grind, like you say, uh, down there in, in California. So, uh, I've been up in the air. I, I've been able to breathe for the past four months, uh, and I've taken a break, um, and, uh, kind of evaluated like wow the the value isn't in running around everywhere the value is showing up and being able to do this in a virtual manner now i can help my sponsors without that twelve thousand dollar business uh class uh, trip fare um which is good and uh, i can still help them just as well and right. uh that's right. important now if somebody wants to get a hold of you i'm gonna have links to the book links to the website 
underneath the show note. But where do they go, Pat? To get a hold I'm on of LinkedIn, you know, tradestoneqa.com is my main source, and then uh, bubblegumbadge.com is the book, I, I believe. that I, I redid those websites, uh, so those are newer. Uh, well, the book one is, at least. And um, But uh, I'm all over the place. If you just google patrick stone uh comma fda you know warning letters pop up and wow uh, fraud cases pop up big the biggest cases of fraud in fda history to date i've never uh, actually so, googled so, that yeah yeah it's a, it's a weird <laughs> google there's three or four pages to scroll through some pictures etc but um it, it uh, th- they're there because i have about uh 30 warning letters i have um like uh three NDA revocations. I have a couple of uh, disqualifications for principal investigators. So, uh, you know, my FDA career was fairly vast and full of uh, flavor. And my FDA Zilla score is pretty high for 43s. I think it said 60% of the time I showed up, you were going to receive an observation. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's good that you're on the private side now, Pat. Yeah. Yes, sir. Welcome, welcome to this side. Uh, so, yeah, thank you so much. I mean, I'm sure everybody's going to learn something from this. The sites, CRAs, sponsors, CROs, myself. We can't let seven years go by again, man. we got to do another one this year, um, maybe in a few months or, you know, towards the end of the year. Um, I know you've been super busy, so have I, but these are good. I think these are good for the audience out there to kind of learn because it's very rare that you get a glimpse into the FDA perspective, right? And and they don't necessarily come out and do podcasts. So thank you very much, Pat, for being out there and uh, also now helping industry in return. Well, I appreciate your time. And uh, next time I'll wear a jacket. And uh, But, yeah, uh, patient safety is, is our goal, and, and that's my passion and the reason why I wake up every day. So thank you. Thank you, Pat, and thank you, everybody, for watching and for listening, and we'll catch you all later. Bye-bye. So, hey, everybody, thank you very much for listening to another episode of Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. Again, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. Make sure you leave a review, if you could be so kind, please. Uh, And also go to theclinicaltrialsguru.com if you're interested in learning more about who I am, who some of my guests are. Uh, You can have access to some of my YouTube videos. Uh, I do a lot of videos about clinical research. So go to theclinicaltrialsguru.com. And you can also call or text me anytime, 949-415-6256. Also follow me on any social media platform. It's Dan Svera. And you can also email me if you'd like, dan at theclinicaltrialsguru.com. Thank you very much.